The following episode contains sensitive content. It is recommended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which we meet and the land on which you are listening. We pay our respects to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the country on which this podcast was recorded. This podcast was produced in a private residence in Marrickville, Sydney, and is a completely independent production. We do not act on behalf of any organisation or sponsor. Our views are entirely our own. You're about to join a conversation between two women from Sydney, Australia, talking about losing their loved one to suicide. It is unscripted. This is ordinary people sharing their lived experience. This is Talking Lived. people who came who was there and who was there people who didn't want to come uh, we did hold a memorial it was sort of held again because of the you're part of a process you're part of there's a set of protocols in place around this so um, Jason's body was taken away it was kind of analyzed um, to put it crudely um, that was all happening interstate and then the body was returned to us. So the cremation kind of happened because we had to get the body interstate and have it returned to us. The cremation actually happened elsewhere. So his body wasn't at the place where the memorial or funeral was held. Um, and nor were his ashes, actually. But we did hold a memorial. It was held in Sydney. And we... Look, the, the girls and I, Jason's daughters and I, planned it. Uh, we invited as many people as we could from our past, if that makes sense. So we actually made contact with people that Jason hadn't seen for a long time because we lived in another place. We met in Canberra and had one of our daughters there. So there were actually people that we knew from kind of quite a long time ago. And there were people that made the trip from Canberra for it, which was really, really nice. Um, look, we were certainly happy with how the day went, as much as you can say you're happy with that kind of thing. Um, and we needed, because there'd been a lot of fracturing in Jason's life, in the way that he'd grown up, without very, very long story, so I won't go into it too much, but... It was very, very important for us to be able to hold a day for him that honoured his struggle with mental illness because that had been incredibly important to him in his life. He was very vocal about his struggles with depression and there were people in his life that wouldn't even really acknowledge that he was ill. Um, and we also needed people to acknowledge... We needed to be able to, I think, speak freely about that and about his struggle, but also about what his life had been like. And there were people that weren't prepared to hear that. And so those people were not invited to the funeral. How about you? What, what, what was your day like for Gabby? Yeah, well, I, I wanted to ask you, like, how quickly after 
his death, did you have your memorial? Because I guess if the body's being dealt with differently, then the memorial can happen at, yeah. at any time, really. Is yeah, that... that's right. So mm. we still wanted to have it fairly, as close as we could, to the yep. to kind of maintain as much normalcy, if that's yes. the word, to yes. kind of have it unfold in a way. But it was still a few weeks after. Right. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, well, Gabby's funeral was about uh, three weeks after she died and uh, that was um, much longer than I was expecting and I didn't realise the body would be held up and uh, I didn't realise things would take as long as they took to, to release the body. However, I was also grateful for that because the last thing I could think about uh, in the first shock... Uh, definitely in the first few days, let alone the first week of her death, to be thinking about a funeral. And it was clear that we were going to have a funeral, uh, but with a, a death as sort of young and as shocking like that, you go through every conversation you ever had with that person about what they wanted when they died. Uh, you know, did they want to... Um, you know, be buried in a purple purple coffin with glitzy handles or what. And, you know, all things Gabby ever wanted was to, she said, oh, just put me in a, a sack and plant a tree on top of me. You know, she wanted to be buried in the ground and, uh, you know, an eco-funeral, I guess. But if, even in 2018, eco-funerals weren't even as, easy to access is what they are in you know four short years later three and a half years later so um it was a, a very torturous situation how do we even plan for this funeral but and and I really have to um really respect both Gabby's partner and myself in that we really respected each other there was a lot of areas where we could have descended into conflict like it was fraught ripe ready for deep deep conflicts to happen between us because we were both hurting so badly but uh, I think we both really communicated our respect and worked together to get a funeral and um, you know she lived up in the Hunter Valley in um, Newcastle her partner's family was all in Western Australia and Gabby had spent 12 years of her adult life living in Western Australia. Um, I lived in Sydney and all of my family was in Sydney and a lot of the other community where Gabby had grown up was on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. So there, there was, oh my goodness, where do we have this funeral and how do we resolve that? And I came across the Hunter Wetland site, which is a, a Ramsar site where... There are migratory birds uh, from, they come from Russia down to Australia and it's a, a community owned uh, organisation, no government funding, everything they do from the, from the grassroots up. And it's the only, um, they, they say they claim to fame, the only football stadium that's been reclaimed to be turned into wetlands. And, uh, you know, I thought, oh, I've got to respect that one that's gone the other way around. <laughs> Uh, from a football field to a um, wetlands and and it's beautiful and we there was an outdoors chapel there and we didn't know if it'd be too cold to have it at the outdoors chapel because it was winter and there'd be a lot of older people and people with disabilities you know how could we all make it 
And we did. I was very uh, pleased that's what we did. We had a funeral for her there um, eventually and um, the birds came and landed. We had the backdrop of the water and I think um, Gabby would have been very, very pleased with her final sending off. Did anyone help with the planning process or was there anyone in your life at the time that was particularly supportive to you through the, through the whole process? Well, I had uh, a bunch of friends that I feel very blessed to have um, community that I live in and a couple of very good friends jumped on planes immediately from Queensland or northern New South Wales. I had two friends that sort of just jumped in straight away and they knew the significance of this event and then people were coming and going all the time over that three weeks between death and funeral because everyone had their own family responsibilities as well. And uh, I feel very blessed for that. But I had two friends who independently told me about a particular uh, funeral celebrant, whatever they call them, a funeral person. And uh, she was really good. I contacted her and, you know, they were very supportive to, to run things for us because if you've never planned a funeral, like, it's crazy to be trying to do that at the time when you just can barely sort of function and barely have a shower every day or feed yourself and, uh, you know, yet you're having to plan some kind of event so they were very, very helpful. Um, we got together a lot with the group and uh, they would come to my place and we'd sit and talk through things. And as I said earlier, Gabby's partner, uh, you know, we solidly worked through what we knew Gabby didn't want. Maybe it was an easier process of elimination. And, you know, there was um, things to think about at that funeral in terms of if I invited certain people, who would who would that leave out other people and because of her partner and the world they lived in I wanted to make sure the funeral wasn't dominated by childhood friends who would then use the funeral as a chance for a, oh you know a community get together and you know the yeah. like <clears throat> I think you mentioned in another episode not so much uh, rubbernecking but definitely the sort of the um, get on the bandwagon oh this terrible thing's happened and you know we'll all cry together and we'll get to sort of go and hang out and see each other and and the focus becomes more on the, on the party with seeing people which is exactly what it's for but if that was going to sideline some of the people currently in Gabby's life who she'd chosen to be in her life then I couldn't have that so I, I was very careful at trying to keep the boundaries down of of who who should come and who didn't come I didn't want to exclude people uh, who really wanted to be there there was also complications for me from my work I felt like a lot of people wanted to come from work but I really felt like oh that is just going to be too hard for me I'm not going to be able to concentrate on what I need to be thinking about because I'll be feeling like I have to perform because you yeah. perform at work and I'll be feeling like I have to sort of maintain some kind of um, appearance, you know. But at the same time, I understand people really, really were devastated. It was that genuine human thing and they wanted to express their grief and um, or express their 
their care for me or show their respect to me by attending. Yes. So you feel a bit of a weirdo that, you know, okay, look, I've got to try and set things up. But they're all the things you're sort of navigating. It's a lot to navigate. It's true. You are a, a, you're managing an event and mm. you are aware of the fact that you're doing that and you're presenting things in a certain light and mm. a certain story or set of stories is likely to be told. But at the same time, it's something deeply, so deeply personal. And I think you, you're right. I, you really have every right to get through that day. How, do whatever you need to do to get through it. Don't, don't you think? I oh, think absolutely. So. Yes. Um, yeah. Did you have anyone else that was helping you with the planning or supporters? Yeah. Uh, what would we do without mm. friends and and those that are close to us that kind of just step forward and sweep you up and carry you through these things and we were very very lucky that we had some very close friends and family were just amazing I will be grateful to them to the end of my days for some of the stuff that they did for us without Mm. really doing all that much other than just being there and Mm. living through the horror of the experience but yeah they absolutely did and sat down and did the planning with us and because the other thing is that there's planning involved as you said you you're kind of trying to plan an event you've never planned before and you want to do it in a way that honors the person and they're expensive and they're (laughs) in many ways we had lots of people who you know floated alone to me so that I was able to pay for everything in a way that I wasn't stressing my, you know, stressing myself out. We could get everything paid and then I dealt with the debt of it later yeah. um, when I was back on my feet. And that often took, that takes a long time, you mm. know, to, for you to get back on your feet. So, mm. yes. The only thing I'd say to people is that sometimes those people that you rely on most for help are not necessarily that the people that you think they will be. So it might not be a sibling or a, you know, where you think, oh, well, it'll, it'll be my closest family. It may not be that mm. person. It, 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 I think it helps if it's someone that knew your, you and your family environment really well, but also knew the person really, really well. Like yeah. it's, they've, got to, they've got to be there to kind of, so they can kind of help you navigate from my point of view, I'd say I was very, even writing the eulogy, there were things in it in my first draft that it was angrier than I wanted it to be. Mm. And having that person there who dearly loved Jason and dearly loved our family could have that very honest conversation with me and go, you might want to rethink that particular (laughs) line. Just Mm. think about the way you phrased that. And no one else could have said that other than than that person because they, they loved both of us. Yeah, that's good. That That is the safest option, isn't it, when you have someone that loves both you and your departed one equally uh, and knows that situation. That's a very helpful, yeah, very helpful story. <laughs> Is there anything of symbolic importance that you included in the into the ceremony? A favourite colour, songs or poems or what was important? Yeah, uh, we certainly put... Jason was a, a huge music lover. He had accumulated 
as one of his many addictions, there were literally thousands of hours of music that he'd accumulated over the years. He, he's probably one of the most curious people in terms of the range of things that he listened to. Um, and his knowledge of it was unbelievable. So we knew that was really, really important to incorporate certain songs that had been really important to him. Uh, but I think there was also, I had a very, there was a very conscious process going on with me where this, because of the way that Jason has died, it is an incredibly tragic death with an immense legacy for anyone that's left behind particularly if you're the child of someone who's died by suicide. So there were two... There was honouring him and representing that, and there was also trying to create a narrative for that day that was about strength and about survival and resilience and love and all that stuff that was going to be incredibly important for his daughters who had been left with an incredibly... Because they were both young, uh, very young women, um, still working out who they are and all that stuff and how you fit into the world. Uh, they are now left with a lot of stuff to think about in terms of why, why did Dad do what he did? What does that say about our relationship? So I was very conscious of the fact that there also needed to be a lot about strength and love and... So we, that part of that was reflected in the song selection. So um, Jason was a huge fan of Marvin Gaye. So um, one of my daughters actually sang What's Going On um, with a group of people that she had worked closely with, um, a guitarist and, um, yeah, and with a friend. A friend sung it with her. We incorporated some other songs as well, but we also... Um, included some poems from one of his favourite poetry books and a lot of that was about strength and resilience. So we tried to pick a thematic that was about healing and moving forward and hope, which it's a strange day to be talking about hope, but it just felt like it was right to have that in there because we were still celebrating the fact that within our family, we, we really, really, really loved each other as a family. That, mm. that was without question and there was, it was so important to have that built into every conversation that, you know, that we were having publicly about that day. Um, but the other thing that we incorporated into it, uh, we contacted some of the key trauma organisations beyond Blue, um, there's also an organisation called Blue... It's terrible, isn't it? I think it's called Blue Knot. Now, I've, isn't it terrible? You start to forget stuff. Anyway, it's about childhood trauma. Anyway, we contacted those agencies and got resources and um, kind of little wristbands and things that everyone could wear. So as you walk in, there was literature there that you could pick up, which was a little dry, but there were also wristbands and necklaces and brooches and that sort of stuff. So that part of the conversation was also about that because that definitely fed into what had created some of the challenges that Jason had mentally in his life. And we also um, had origami flowers rather than actual, you know, uh, flowers. Uh, we had origami flowers that were... had a, Each one had an inscription so everyone could carry those around and... The inscription was, I'm trying to remember the exact wording, 
the flower that blooms in adversity is the rarest and most beautiful of all. Mm. And that was really important as a mum to have that narrative built in for Jason's girls. Yeah, you're navigating so many things there with, with that, with, with your family. How about you? Were, were there particular things mm. that had been important to Gabby in her life? Did she have a favourite colour or anything like that? So we, um, I think, you know, as I said, the nature was important to Gab's and, uh, you know, she she loved music. It's so funny, Jason loved music because Gabby loved music as well and we had an afternoon together with um, her friends and my family and it happened to be the afternoon of Meghan Markle's and Prince Harry's wedding, if that puts a sort of a little um, stamper for everybody, time stamp in for you. And we sort of sat down and played music. Everyone sort of brought their songs along and it was a process of um, inclusion, elimination, you know, what do we include, what do we exclude and, you know, pulling together all of those things and the, um, you know, what we were going to do. And at the, you know, the process that we did with the funeral was we, we had the funeral outdoors at the outdoor chapel and at the wetland centre there was a place downstairs and we didn't know what the weather was going to be like but we set up that room with uh, lunch and uh, snacks and there was some photos um, real powerpoint reel of gabby's uh, pictures of gabby throughout her life and she was into rescue dogs she was very involved in the hunter valley rescue so rather than have flowers we had people donate for the for the rescue dogs and we had a little box set up there to um you know if people wanted to contribute to that so we were very happy her friends had set that up you know I had so much help in a way people pulled together to set things up and and have that um have that uh, process I guess um what else really you know, I was just going to say yeah. that I, what I loved about the way that you described that is that it you're stage managing, aren't you? To mm. to try to put it, it but you oh. you are you are kind of doing a is a process in PR that's happening. It's like I really want this to happen on the day, mm. but it's also really important to kind of be open to the fact that stuff is going to happen on that day that is just incredibly beautiful that you mm. didn't plan for or that mm. you can't always make sense of, but. It, mm. It's a mixture of those moments, isn't it, where mm. you plan for part of it, but there's also stuff that happens that, that makes it really be open to the stuff that can happen on the day that you didn't. It's hard to tell, uh, but we actually had a lot of humour as well. Me and Gabby, our life was characterised by a lot of humour. So we had an open casket and, uh, you know, by this time Gabby had been dead for, you know, close to three weeks. And, uh, you know, the the distraction that I had was like... Her ear wasn't in the right place where her ear lived on her head. It had sort of slopped, slightly dropped into a funny angle. And it's like, that's not where Gabby's ear sits. And, you know, not realising if anybody else had noticed that her ear wasn't in the right place, you know. It's like, okay, well, that's moved. But the other thing was that they'd put this coral-coloured lipstick on her lips and it was a colour that... You know, I never see Gabby wear. And her friend walked by me and I just said oh, my God, have you seen the lipstick they've put on her? She wouldn't be caught dead in that. 
and <laughs> that colour. And it was just sort of <laughs> kind of funny, but maybe too much for people. But, you know, you feel You've when someone's... You've got that sort of humour or you don't, you, don't you, I think? You, you know, feel like you can't be... <laughs> I cannot be violated any further, yeah. you know. That's the feeling. It's like, okay, we've had this extreme devastation. Nothing will ever hurt me as much as what's already happened. Yes. And if you expect me to try and respect that death like forget it i'm not going to no you, know. you can't you've got to say something <laughs> cheeky like that don't you to get yourself through it it's like defying it's defiance <laughs> yeah you that's know? right that's yeah. right and and if gabby was there it's She'd exactly be it. she was the one that would have said yeah. it you know and yeah. and that's why i could do it because yeah. i felt like i'm embodying her you know and the fact that we were with the birds the migratory birds and what it means now on the first year after her death we went up and planted, and we paid to plant uh, a, a bunch of rainforest. So we've planted a bunch of rainforest trees up there. The guys up there help us set it up, um, and you know, because they're struggling to regenerate the land. And we put a little uh, bench with a, a plaque on it that's, you know, is Gabby's memorial. So we've been able to, you know, contribute to that wetlands. And and I guess that's the thing is like life goes on. You know, and it's funny, birds have, have never really featured a lot in my life. And now I have so many birds in my yard at home yeah. and have magpies and wood doves and, you know, the noisy miner who thinks it's a magpie and um, <laughs> all of these other ones that are coming around. And I feel very close to the birds and I never I really have in my life. And, and I feel like, yeah, they're migratory. They come here, they go there and, and you know, they... they um, live and die very quickly. They, they visit us, don't they? We continue mm. to have the conversation with the dead and they mm. continue to visit us in the form of little totems like that. That's right. So, yeah. And you think, gee, well, birds are actually literally dinosaurs. They don't, they're not like dinosaurs. They are dinosaurs and they've been here a long time And but their lifespan is very short Yep. but their species is, is extremely long. So... Mm. Content development and background research by Joni Janaway and Tanya Bretherton. Sound, music and audio, pre- and post-production provided by Patty O'Rourke. If this conversation has been difficult for you, if you're experiencing suicidal thoughts or feelings, or if you're just having a really tough time right now, there is help out there. Lifeline is available 24 hours on their hotline at 131114. The Suicide Callback Service is also available at 1300 659 467. If you're having a hard time and not even sure how to start the conversation, remember that a trusted GP or a family doctor is also a good place to start. <laughs>